Hello folks, welcome to another SACPA session. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people, Métis Nations of Alberta Region 3. And we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. Today we're very welcome to uh, have with us Robert Ashen. Uh, Robert was born in Lachine, Quebec. He holds degrees in commerce and public administration from Carleton University and a PhD in political science from the University of Alberta. He joined the Alberta Public Service in 1984 and moved to Alberta Treasury in 1986. At Treasury, he was responsible for the financial sector policy, foreign borrowing and liaison with credit rating agencies. In 1999, uh, Robert's PhD dissertation, Politics and Public Debt, The Dominion, The Banks and Alberta Social Credit was published. In 1996, he joined Alberta's Treasury branch, becoming responsible for government relationships, strategic planning and economic research. In August 2009, he was appointed director of the Institute of Public e e economics at the University of Alberta. He is the editor and contributor of the forthcoming A Sales Tax for Alberta, Why and How. His articles have been published in Alberta Views, The Conversation and the Calgary Herald. Thank you so much for joining us today and we very much look forward to your presentation. Well, thank you very much, Annalise, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Good afternoon, everybody. I know you've given the land acknowledgement for Lethbridge. I'm speaking to you from Treaty 6, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Lakota Sioux, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant Northern Alberta communities. I would like to thank Bev uh, Mundell for inviting me to speak to the Council. The Council performs an important role in educating membership on important public policy issues, issues that are highly complex, issues requiring full public debate among an informed public. The presentation today, can INCO be fixed? Uh, could also be termed the presentation on AIMCO I never gave. <laughs> uh, and that is because this comes from a media availability session that was scheduled, but no media showed up to ask questions about the research paper. Uh, I, hope to, uh, I hope to stimulate a lot of discussion and I look forward to your questions. Next slide. So here are the key findings and recommendations from the report. AIMCO is one of the most significant provincial agencies in Alberta and it's largely unknown. Its importance is central to the financial security of nearly half a million people, mostly in Alberta. AIMCO's investment performance since its inception in 2009 has been spotty and recent poor returns contributes to the erosion of trust. The ownership structure of AIMCO must be changed. 
ANCO's sole owner today is the government of Alberta, even though about two-thirds of its funds are pension fund assets. ANCO's current board is all white. This lack of diversity is a problem. Independence from government influence over investment decisions is critical to trust. And then six, ANCO is now the sole statutory provider to nearly all public sector pension funds. In other words, it has a monopoly status, but it, that status is not conducive for trust or responsiveness when one party has no choice in changing investment managers. Next slide. The five major uh, pension funds, which are now being managed by INCO, totaled about $100 billion at the end of 2020. And I, uh, sorry, that's, and today it's more like $130 billion. There are over 460,000 active and inactive members and retirees in the five main plans which my study focused on. Next slide. Trust is central to the pension bargain. The UCP government's first budget in November 2019 placed, uh, sorry, swept teachers, workers' compensation board and AHS investments over $30 billion under the management of AIMCO. And there was no consultation with the ATRF, the Teachers Retirement Fund Board, nor the Alberta Teachers Association. The public sector plan's ability to move their investments to another investment manager the measures push put in place by the NDP in 2018, that ability was removed under the legislation. The manner in which new investment management agreements were imposed through ministerial order was signed just before Christmas 2020, but not communicated to the affected boards until January the 4th. This agreement severely limited the pension fund's ability to make investment policy and strategy changes. The investment management agreement or IMA issue caused the Alberta Teachers Association to sue the provincial government and AIMCO. This case was resolved out of court this past fall, but the IMA has not been made public. However, I understand that the offending sec sec sections in the IMA were taken out as part of the deal withdrawing the lawsuit. In March 2020, on top of this uh, erosion of trust, with extreme volatility on global financial markets due to the COVID epidemic, a complex volatility trading strategy called bolts led to large 
losses that ultimately closed out at about $2 billion. This development, after these other actions, added more distrust of AIMCO and the government. Another source of mistrust between the government and pension plans is Finance Minister Taves' reference to public money of AIMCO during the legislative debates. I want to be very clear on this. Public sector pension plan investments are not public money. They are investments held in trust to pay pensions, not public money once employers' contributions are made, as well as the employees' contributions. And this misunderstanding was amplified at the time the report was issued by Premier Kenny. Now let's look at the next three slides then. Let's go to the next slide. The, the comparisons though that, that I'll be giving you with uh, AIMCO's major clients, the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund and four other provincial pension fund managers in other provinces, that comparison is fraught with complications and the qualifications which are a lot on the findings are found in Appendix B of the report. Now the data points reflected in the following charts are the difference between the overall benchmarks set by the plans boards or AIMCO in the case of AIMCO results, their board and the actual results. The difference is what is referred to as value added by the pension manager or in industry parlance adding val alpha. Each chart compares performance against benchmarks and where available multiple year performances. Okay, so the first one looks at, at AIMCO's management of the Heritage Fund how AIMCO evaluate, sorry, on um, how AIMCO evaluates itself, uh, LAP, the Local Authorities Pension Board, uh, the Special Forces Pension Plan, and the Heritage Fund. So these are the main uh, funds managed by AIMCO. And performance generally has met, been met that is, the benchmarks have been exceeded. A number greater than zero, so numbers above the line, means that value is added by the manager. But the last few years' performance has been poor, as you'll see on the right-hand side of that slide, mainly due to the Volt's trading strategy. Now, the next slide compares AIMCO uh, and how it sets its performance against the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund. Um, and it looks at uh, longer term returns as well. And this figure shows that the ATRF uh, recent 10 year performance was 70 basis points or 0.7% of a percent above the benchmark. Uh, and ATRF's four-year performance is over one percentage point higher than AIMCO. Uh, and this, uh, as public results, uh, 
However, there was uh, a briefing given by AIMCO that disputed uh, ATRF's uh, improvement or uh, better performance, which uh, caused, again, a lot of mistrust among the members on the pension board, ATRF boards and the members. Let's go to the next slide then, uh, Annalise. And this uh, reviews AIMCO's performance against its peers, uh, fi figure uh, four, I believe. Um, now, we compare AIMCO with the BC Investment Management Corporation, the case to the Pot de Quebec, Ontario Teachers and Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System, or OMERS. Uh, as this figure shows, AIMCO's performance has been okay, not the worst, OMERS is, but not the best, and its performance has been poor over the recent past few years. Performance, I believe, is something that AIMCO's new CEO, Evan Sadal, is focused on improving. Now, the last sets of slides describe the recommendations found on pages 27 to 34 of the report. So the ownership of AIMCO needs to be changed. This slide shows the relative magnitude of funds managed for government accounts and non-government accounts at the end of 2020. The largest fund would be the local authorities board at about 54 billion. The next major AIMCO clients are Alberta teachers, so they're new to the mix, and the government's heritage fund. This should give the government input into the direction of AIMCO, but not control. Next slide. The first policy recommendation is to eliminate the Crown's sole ownership of AIMCO. Ownership positions should be subject to negotiation between the major clients of AIMCO and the government of Alberta. In general terms, the proportion of board seats should be based on the amount of funds managed by AIMCO. Revised legislation could address board representation, eliminating the need for cabinet approval of all directors. The appointment of board members would be the sole responsibility of the specific pension plans corporate boards, uh, such as local authorities pension plan and the government. This makes sense because the provincial government is no longer trustee or administrator of these plans and that was a change made by the NDP. Uh, next slide, please. So the current constitution of uh, AIMCO's board, uh, all white members, simply does not reflect the demographics of the population that they are ultimately serving. At the present time, there is a very high bar to qualify to serve on AIMCO's board. 
afford individuals have to have proven and demonstrable experience and expertise in investment management, finance, accounting, or law, or experience as an executive or director in a publicly traded issuer of securities. So you need to be part of the corporate club. Uh, that's not a good recipe uh, for good management, and a lot of the literature today says so. Now, this is not to say each current director is not qualified. However, a lack of diversity on boards means that issues tend to be discussed only in financial or technical terms, but there is more at stake in pensions than numbers. Skills should be defined more broadly to include a range of professional backgrounds, such as HR management, indigenous relations, environmental sciences, IT, and I mention IT because cybersecurity is such an important issue, and medical science as we uh, cope with the pandemic. Non-Canadian directors should broadly reflect INCO's investments in other geographic markets, notably Asia. The current uh, non-Alberta members represent simply North America. Uh, next slide, please. The independence from the government. In uh, 2018, reforms under the NDP this created a joint governance model and was partly based on taking politics out of pensions. Uh, the UCP government uh, did not tamper with joint governance, which is a good thing, except for a change on the representation of one particular board. However, Bill 22, Mandamco was suddenly thrust into the political spotlight, although AIMCO was entirely absent in the UCP's election platform. There was no uh, mention of AIMCO on, on that 100-page document. This raises the question, what did the government see in making AIMCO a political issue? Uh, and I and one could speculate on that, and, and that's a dangerous thing. We can maybe talk about that in the um, in the discussion. So to reduce government influence, a new ownership structure is recommended. It makes the government a minority participant. So lastly, let's go to slide 12. AIMCO's monopoly status should be revoked. Now, my recommendation is to give plan participants the option to give two years notice of departing after AIMCO has managed its funds for eight years. Uh, if after eight years, a pension board and, and a co-owner of AIMCO concludes AIMCO's performance is inadequate, the pension plan can give notice and transfer all or some of its funds to a new manager. This will keep AIMCO on its toes. Uh, one last comment. A new CEO, Evan Sedell, has arrived at AIMCO with the task of improving client relations and investment returns. The agreement on the investment management agreement reached with 
the Alberta uh, Teachers Retirement Board is a good first step and suggests more responsiveness. And there are signs that investment performance may be improving. However, the proof is not in words, but in concrete actions. And it's hoped the report will stimulate discussion on this important public policy issue. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to the question period. Excellent. Thank you for your uh, presentation. Um, I'm going to go right to the queue. Colonel um, Peterson, if the UCP government is successful in their plan to maintain Sorry, I'll start again. If the UCP government is successful in their plan to maybe implement an Alberta pension plan to replace CPP, would AIMCO be the likely manager of such an APP, Alberta pension plan? The short answer is yes, and it's it's been discussed and set, set up that way. The government responded to recommendations, as you know, in the Fair Deal panel report that talked about the benefits of bringing the CPP over to be managed in Alberta. Uh, and I, I, I guess I look to you, um, Annalise, whether you want me to go on and, and address some of the policy pros and cons in that, do that, yeah. I mean, it's implicit in the question. Um, the, the, the problem with that is that the, the logic uh, and, and the shiny little badge that's, that's on the pavement is because Alberta has a younger population, uh, we're paying too much in premiums uh, and with a growing population and so on. Well, that's true. That is changing. Alberta, like any province, is aging. Uh, the the national program uh, is uh, is generally regarded as one of the best managed. And you had the the presentation last week from from Jeff Hodge, uh, Hodgson, and it and it's well funded. Uh, so the whether AIMCO could be a better manager is is not not clear. We, we have a proven track record of CPP. Uh, you've, you've seen some of the slides that show that the performance is not as, as great. And, and CPP wasn't compared because AIMCO's mandate is a little different than CPP. But the, the other issue, which is not fully appreciated at all, and I didn't realize this, is that you, you transfer, uh, when you transfer a pension plan, you transfer both the liabilities, that is to pay, and the assets. And for practical purposes, because the CPP, when it was set up, was a pay-as-you-go scheme and was not funded uh, like it is today, there are larger liabilities then, then there are assets. So why would anyone in their right mind agree to something like that? 
and 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 I'm speaking from the government of Canada and the other governments that 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 Alberta would have to negotiate. There's an excellent piece by Virendra Gupta and Ellen Nygaard, who both have great depth of experience on this CPP issue, and I would you know refer you to that. It's on my blog. I think it was in January or, or February, uh, and also. Ellen had a piece in Alberta Views, and again, I would refer you to that piece as well. Okay, thank you. We've got lots of questions in the queue. Um, I think you kind of touched on this question in, your, in, in the answer just now, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, Ian Hurdle, how does AIMCO and CPP performance compare? Uh, well, as I said, I didn't, I didn't do that because the nature of the CPP is, is different. Uh, but, but I did develop charts and, and looked at that before uh, some reviewers suggest that I, I not necessarily compare to the CPP, which is a national plan. Uh, my recollection of the, of the numbers is that the CPP is performing better than, than AIMCO. Uh, they, the, the reason that they give has to do with economies of scale. And, and I think in the literature there, there is some disagreement on how big a pension plan has to be to gain those economies of scale. And in fact, in the report I, I referred to work that Bill Morneau did for the Ontario government, and it, it looks like anything above 50 you, you get a, uh, is, it doesn't give you any extra lift. So, I, I mean, that, that could be looked at in two ways. One that um, AIMCO can report, it can do as well as um, CPP, uh, but, but it suggests that, that ATRF is better in, uh, in a larger pool. But once again, so much of investment returns, and this isn't perhaps uh, well pointed out in the, in the report, is related to the asset mix that the board of these pension plans set up and give to the investment manager to manage within. So then this was part of the, the disagreement on the investment management agreements. Is, is that AIMCO, in effect, could say no to any changes that, that the LAP board or other boards made. So I'm, I'm sorry to give you that equivocal answer. I, I, in, I, I think in fairness to, to the parties, it, it, you know, it boils down to performance in the future, which we can't know. Okay. Um, our next question comes from Laura Schultz. Thank you for your presentation, Robert. Where can your report be accessed? Oh, yes. Uh, so if you go to WW Parkland and type in AIMCO, you should find that uh, report. And it's a PDF report, and there's on the site, there's a summary and so on there. But, but go to Parkland. Okay. Um, 
Terry Shillington, do other provincial governments have a similar investment fund? And what experience have they had? Okay, so I attempt to answer that by the comparison in some of those slides. Uh, certainly Ontario has their teachers uh, pension plan, which is very well respected and in fact on which uh, AIMCO was sort of modeled after the original structure back in 2007 and 8 when it was being developed. Uh, there is the BC Investment Management Corporation which uh, also manages pension funds like AIMCO for their municipal workers, uh, their healthcare workers and so on. Uh, uh, Quebec has has the uh, the same arrangement, and I uh, uh, and as I say, uh, Omer's in Ontario, and, and uh, I'm not as familiar because I didn't compare the smaller pension funds that would be managed, for example, by the Nova Scotia government or an agency of the government. So I did focus on what I kind of call Alberta's competitive jurisdictions, Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia. So certainly there are differences between each plan in terms of what they do. So for, for example, teachers is also the writer of checks. So they have an administrative function. AIMCO does not. It's a pure investment manager uh, that doesn't write the checks. Those are done basically by the local authorities board or done by um, in a, another Alberta agency called Alberta Pension Services uh, Corporation. And they kind of manage all the actuarial data. And then when you qualify for a pension, then you get your checks through that organization. And it's jo AIMCO's job basically to ensure that there's enough money in the bank account of these various funds to pay pensions. The next question comes from Mark Goodall. Are the details of the full AIMCO portfolio available to the public? Um, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, and I, I think the answer is, well, the answer is no. Uh, unlike, for example, the, the Norwegian state uh, pension plan, which is over a trillion, a trillion dollars, which lists in great detail all the shares they hold, you won't find that. If you go to the annual reports, what you'll find is breakdowns on investments. Uh, now, there, there, there may be in some cases the top holdings uh, in a particular portfolio, but you do not have uh, a anything as comprehensive as what you do with with Norwegian, what the Norwegian Central Bank does with its pension plan. Uh, I, however, that said. I believe in 2016, uh, and I, that date, I don't hold me to it, but there was a very detailed listing of the Heritage Fund, but that information has been dropped. Uh, 
Uh, and, that, and this is a very good question. It's a very important public policy issue because as the divestment movement unfolds, uh, there, there is great, greater pressure for universities, for example, and their endowment funds to release more information about, in particular, fossil fuel holdings, but holdings in, in all of the other areas. Uh, I'll also just mention that in mutual funds, typically mutual fund companies will disclose their major holdings in a, in a portfolio and what percentage, for example, of, uh, of the fund is Royal Bank shares or of an equity fund is Royal Bank and TD and so on, their top 10 holdings. But it's, um, in short, it's uh, all over the place. Okay. Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. If a working teacher moved to a different province, what would happen to the pension funding? Uh, it goes with them, so that, that's not an issue. Uh, leaving the province doesn't mean you lose your pension or it's got to be shifted over into, for example, BC Investment Management. No, the money follows the pensioner. Okay. Now, let, let me just go back to the, the CPP business, though. Uh, it, it would cause complications, certainly, uh, whether, let, let's assume they did a deal and we have an Alberta pension plan managed by AIMCO and you're still a contributor. So, so there would be certainly com complexities around um, how to divide up the assets that go with that person and then the investment performance. So. It could well be that you would be getting checks from a new Alberta pension plan and a uh, CPP. If this happened, for, for example, in my case, I'm 67, I'm not drawing the, the pension. I would draw it. My plan is to draw it at 70 because it's more financially, um, it's better. But I, if if that happened, I would simply pull out right now and draw my Canada pension plan, so I wouldn't have to deal with the nonsense of, of an Alberta pension plan. Beth Mundell, um what legal action could an Albertan take to stay in CPP if Alberta institutes APP? Um, hi, Bev. Uh, good question. I really don't know what kind of standing uh, and what kind of case a lawyer would make. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give advice. Um, I, I really don't think that there would be a strong case. Uh, if, if you trust this government, they, I think, would be committed to a referendum. And I think it would be very doubtful that the referendum would pass. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, I think it's more theoretical than real. Our next question comes from Lloyd Healy. I have money in Saskatchewan's PEPP and it has performed quite well. Have you compared AIMCO to PEPP? Uh, no, I have not. 
And our next question comes from Lori Schultz. What influence or authority, if any, does the UCP have in investment decisions? Was AIMCO involved in the TC bailout? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. And and I, in doing the paper, I did talk to, to AIMCO and they were very sensitive to an earlier draft that, that seemed to hint at was there some kind of hidden agenda uh, as, as part of this and, and that the funds of teachers and nurses and so on would be uh, at stake here. Uh, I, uh, so, so I, and I, I think in talk, and I did talk with, with the new CEO, uh, I think he would resign if, if any government uh, told them what to invest in. So I'm not terribly worried at, at that. But, but what my research found was uh, a, in an issue in, in the gas link where they brought into that and they bought into parody uh, some kind of gas pipeline and it's kind of a pipe dream in Nova Scotia. They, that, that they waxed eloquently in the news release about how important this was. And, and this was at a time early on in the UCP's uh, administration. And it, it just seemed to me to be a little overboard and had hinted at that, that the government was having some subtle influence over AIMCO and, and this whole question of, of the environment, of fossil fuel divestment and so on is is a loaded question in Alberta, and as as many of you know, uh, the case to Depot has been making commitments to divest of fossil fuels, uh, and there's a lot of pressure. We've seen Harvard divest and so on, uh, and and the state pension fund in Norway. So it it's a and and Inco is. Uh, you know, talking about like everyone else, the environment, social, and governance movement. Uh, so, so that that is a, I think, a concern that citizens should have, and and I do emphasize that in the last recommendation, the independence from government, that that you need to have an investment manager that is uh, kind of lily white and is always seen and perceived to act that way. And, and in those kinds of investments, those were, were troubling. I have no problem if a government wants to use the heritage fund to invest in TC um, energy. That is public money. Uh, I think it would be mistaken. That's not where the, the, the investment market is heading. But, but they could make that call. Uh, so that would be how I would answer that question in more than a hundred words. Um, Tom Moffat, has the, has the AIMCO investment strategy resulted in a higher percentage of investments going into fossil fuels? Well, to come back to an earlier one, I don't 
think I can answer that question. I don't think there's any information publicly available. And one, I suppose, could do FOIP, but I did not pursue that. It's a very good question. And I, and I think it's a question that, that should be asked in the legislature. Uh, Beth Mundell, what do you believe was the major reason for the ICP to set up AIMCO? Do you have any ev evidence that it was to take funds from it? No, I, I don't. Uh, it, but as I alluded to or mentioned in my final remarks, it was bizarre. I mean, this whole thing with APP, the Alberta Pension Plan, and AIMCO was nowhere in the, um, in the platform, uh, in the election platform. So all of a sudden, we have Alberta still on its back economically, low oil prices, and a government that's pledged to create all these jobs through an Alberta job creation tax credit and and so on and lowering investment and so on. And then, you know, finds out when they get the keys that, in, you know, investment is not coming back to the province and employment's not coming back and what to do. So all that was was evident at the time of this budget in the fall of 2019, their first budget. So I just, you know, really scratched my head and, and you know, why why is AIMCO in the mix again? And I, I still have some suspicions that the, the government saw the potential of AIMCO as perhaps a vehicle to use and 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 I wouldn't entirely be surprised that that there was some pushback, but uh, it, you know that and that goes back to the independence and the, of the board and the appointments on the board. The fact of the matter is, Travis Taves and the premier and the cabinet can get rid of any of those directors and put whoever they want in. Wow. And 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 then they choose the CEO. So if the CEO's not cooperative because they 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 want to have energy uh, uh, investments, then that person can be removed. Uh, in early in <clears throat> in the study, I also talk about some people on the board, and and until recently, uh, the the board was heavily. Um, uh, UCP contributors, or I should say PC contributors, now UCP contributors, and, and certainly would be very sympathetic to a government urging uh, more financing. And, you know, uh, overarching all of this is <clears throat> the fact that, excuse me, <clears throat> is the fact that uh, we have Mark Carney uh, leading uh, a kind of divestment movement or uh, an international movement among both financial institutions, large institutional investors, and financial regulators like the Bank of Canada, 
who has a supervisory role over the banking system and systemic stability, and OSPI, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. And, and they are definitely looking at the, the viability of lending to uh, oil companies. So you have all of that overarching. And again, my thesis is that uh, Alberta is going to be uh, reluctantly drawn into this. And right now, while oil sands producers have plenty of cash flow, once the price of oil falls, and, and it, it falls like any uh, boom is followed by bust, then, then they still will rely on bank credit lines and, and those banks see probability of default of these issuers going up. So, so there's, there's that pressure that's out there and I don't think it's fully appreciated by both markets and governments that, uh, that if you want to be serious about environmental, social and governance, uh, these uh, oil producers, these companies, are don't have a long life ahead of them, and and so governments, particularly Alberta governments, need to to shift their focus towards an economic recovery plan that isn't so heavy on oil and gas and petrochemicals. Uh, one last final point, and I I know I've gone on. Uh, too long here, but and I, I've written uh, on this, and it's in the sales tax book. But it's this question of environmental liabilities, and of course that's close to home for people in southern Alberta, Orphan Wells, and so on. But it's also front of mind for tailings ponds, and and there is a vast liability, which industry has really not stepped up to deal with. We've seen you know, money from the previous NDP government, a little bit of money in the form of loans from the UCP, and then a bunch of money that, that came in from Ottawa, much of it still unspent, that, that, that just it is, is going to be a cost that is imposed on our economy, whether these sites are cleaned up or not. And the costs are going to be in the, the land being sterilized, or if they're going to be cleaned up, ultimately, is it going to be on the dime of the uh, provincial taxpayers? And and that again is 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 something I've been following, and I think is just a very important thing to to watch uh, in the near future. Our next question comes from Mark. Uh, Martin, could a provincial or federal government set investment strategies for AIMCO or in bracket CPP? For example, to, to direct that all fossil fuel holdings be wrapped up on a certain timeline to maintain value? Uh, <clears throat> again, a good, a good question. In the case of the CPP, you have a fairly complex system of governance that in effect would require your uh, federal government along with the, the nine participating provinces to agree on that kind of direction and it would require an amendment to the CPP Act. So that is unlikely to happen. 
Um, on, on the question of whether the provincial government can do that, I think the answer is legally yes. They, but, but they would have to amend a lot of acts, really remove joint governance, and, and somehow um, take, take over the ownership of these assets and trusts. And, and I don't think realistically that in the face of all kinds of lawsuits, any government would, would take that on. I, so I, I'm pretty confident that we, we've got the joint governance model in place. We've, we've got an AIMCO that is removed from political interference. Uh, but but, but that, that, that needs the extra step of having representation on the board and, and those people appointed by the actual beneficiaries and contributors, not by the provincial government. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. Theoretical rather than real just pandering to the anti-federal government sentiment to their conservative supporters, question mark. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I think there's quite a bit of that, unfortunately, in there. It, it's unfortunate, but I think there's uh, so much hostility that, that our Premier and his ministers have channeled towards the, the Prime Minister in particular that is and Ottawa and the federal government uh, and that's very unfortunate. Laurie Schultz, what would happen, what would have to happen to build and regain trust? Well, I, you know, in some ways I've written a report for I, uh, a government that that may take over in next May, the, the NDP, and I hope that they <laughs> read the report uh, because I think these recommendations are practical. Uh, and so that would be the way I would answer it, that there, there needs to be greater insulation from politics uh, we need to complete that through a reorganization of the board. This whole message of, like, I couldn't believe it when I did the research to, to look on, on the website of AIMCO, there are all these white faces. And uh, I mean, this just isn't reflective of the Alberta we live in today. And, and to think that these corporate blue chip people have all the answers is, is a problem. So, so, and, and also then the other part of the recommendation is let's eliminate this monopoly status. It, it really does, it, it eroded the trust instantly of those members and of those associations. Now what the NDP did, and, and I think AIMCO was really sensitive to this, and, and perhaps they weren't consulted on it, but was to give these local authority pension plans, special purpose, MEP, and so on, a five-year period 
to continue with ANCOL, but now a capacity to say, look, you, you just have not performed. We're going to shop these assets somewhere else. And, and I think that was fine. But I think ANCOL internally, when the UCP came in, they had a deck, uh, a deck of PowerPoint to go into the minister's office and sell them on kind of the new AIMCO and again potentially like we could manage the Canada pension plan assets more efficiently and all this kind of stuff. Um, Tom Muffet has a comment uh, rather than a question but maybe you could comment on it anyway. Uh, no one should be allowed to drill a new well unless they clean up two old ones. Well, uh, I, I agree with the sentiment. I'm, I'm not sure the practicality there. Uh, you, you may be familiar with the Alberta Liabilities Disclosure Project, and this was a, a group that Reagan Boychuk, who has done enormous amounts of work on, on this subject with data from the Alberta Energy Regulator, um, and it's now headed up by David Swan. I, I think that it's just been um, an unfortunate capture of the energy regulator in the last decade that has allowed some of these transactions to go ahead and weak financial companies um, that they could not honor the obligations were allowed to take these companies over and it's quite scandalous. and. I think Reagan's writing a book on that. So um, I, I, I think the way to probably solve this issue is to require significant amounts of financial security, i.e. cash, when anything is transferred. Uh, and that should be, you know, job number one of, of the government. Uh, and, and the, so <clears throat> they, you know, the industry, there, there are, like any industry, there's good people and there's bad people. And what, what we've had are a, a, a trickle-down effect of major producers like Imperial on Leduc lands and these wells don't meet their hurdle rate and it's not efficient for them. To, to manage it so they sell them and so on. And the liability just kind of gets transferred down to the weakest link. And, and that's been a process that's been allowed to go on for very long. And then suddenly with uh, uh, a provincial agency uh, called the Alberta Energy Regulator refusing to transfer um, producing wells to the receiver and to ATB Financial, in that case, known as the Redwater Resources case, went to the Supreme Court, and basically the court said the polluter pays, and if you lend money to these people, you're going to pay up. So ATB is on the hook, and so basically they've lost the, the, the loan and have to write those down. And So this has been a fundamental principle to wake up the industry 
and and yet, I mean, we see our energy minister uh, is saying, "Oh, it's great that dividends are being paid and shares are being bought back," and yet these liabilities are continued to 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 escalate. And you know, in certain municipalities, which I'm sure you're well aware of. Um, these companies uh, either go bankrupt or just refuse to pay taxes. And and the government is kind of giving them a free ride. So no wonder, you know, muni rural municipalities are upset about this, and, and they should be. Uh, I mean, the chickens are coming home to roost on the environmental thing. And, and then don't get me started on the tailings bonds, which uh, I don't think there's any uh, chemical process that's been identified to deal with them. So the, the, the berm, the, the ponds are just keep adding hundreds of millions of liters a year. And, and you know, what happens under, underneath, who knows? And, and the whole question of leakage and, and what that means. So it's, uh, it's a very, very important question that, that we need to, to keep on our politicians to to be honest about, and our regulators as well. Okay, um, Laurie Schultz, do you have any sense of how the Alberta Party would handle ANCO? Um, how the Alberta Party? Mm -hmm. No, I don't. Um, I, I mean, I, I would hope they would read my report and agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, our last question of today comes from Beth Mundell. Uh, how do you envision the NDP would deal with AIMCO? I guess same question, different party. Uh, would they keep it or dismantle it? Thank you so oh. much for this fabulous presentation, she goes on to say. Okay, well, thank you very much, Lori. It's been, uh, it's been a joy. How would the NDP handle AIMCO? They wouldn't dismantle AIMCO. I would hope that again they would read the parkland <laughs> report before they did anything dramatic i i and and so <clears throat> i i would think that uh, given their supporter base uh and and I, I mean if i'm a political scientist by by background if you if you look at what bill 22 means it means that the the government has alienated basically half a million voters in the province. So if if those people vote on, on the issue of what's been done to their pension plan and, and the mucking up with it, they would be unhappy. And, and so they have family members. And, and so a big core, I think, of the NDP support is going to come from those people. Mm. and. And those associations like nurses and teachers, uh, which will uh, have views that I, an NDP government would be sympathetic for. I mean, I would hope, and, and support of the research did come from ATA, and I think the ATA would, would like to see their, their, their uh, ability to appoint members to AIMCO. So in that type of scenario, I, I think that we would see some fundamental changes made to AIMCO's board. Okay, um, 
that wraps up our session for today. But before we finish this live stream, Robert, do you have a take home message for our viewers? I do actually. Uh, and thank you for for your attention. Uh, my my thrust would be to get politics out of pensions, public pensions. And this was something that was stated uh, by the NDP in, in 2018 when Joe Sisi introduced legislation. And, and I think it's just very important that the, the public and politicians be clear, this is not their money to manage. Excellent. I want to thank you very much um, for your time, for this fantastic presentation, very enlightening. Um, we also have thank yous in the queue from Laurie Schultz, from Beth Mundell, from Mark Goodall. Great information, a real eye-opener. Eye thank you very much. So we have lots of thank yous uh, coming in. And on behalf of SACPA also, thank you very much. Um, folks online, I hope you'll join us next week for Michael McCready. What are the possibilities and challenges of virtual and augmented reality? And with that, we'll end the live stream for today. Thank you. Thank you very much.